with my team. I've just returned from holding meetings in three major cities of the ex-Soviet Union. St. Petersburg, the capital of the Tsars, and the birthplace of the Communist Revolution. I was there two weeks ago this Sabbath. Nizhny Novgorod, better known in the Western world as Gorky. Industrial powerhouse and manufacturer of MiG fighter jets, nuclear submarines, and Volga autocars. Kiev, or as they call it there, Kiev, the capital of Ukraine and the birthplace and cradle of Russian civilization. Today, I want to share with you those here in my church and those watching on 300 television stations across North America, amazing, exciting stories that illustrate the fulfillment of an ancient Bible prophecy. I want you please right now to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms. I want you to turn to Psalm, and it's the second Psalms. Book of Psalms, but Psalm number two. Now verse, verse one. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. I want you to notice particularly this, this verse, verse 8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. This prophecy is obviously messianic because it talks about Jesus Today I've said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so this prophecy that we're reading here about the nations coming to the Messiah is a prophecy that concerns the great work of God in gathering the Gentiles or the heathen to the kingdom of God. This prophecy says, when it says, I will make the nations your inheritance, or as it says in the King James Version, I will gather the heathen unto you. It means this, that from far distant lands, people would come to Christ and they would come under the dominion of the Son of God, the person who was mentioned here by David 3,000 years ago, the person who was called in Holy Scripture, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a great messianic promise to the world and to the church. Where God says 3,000 years ago, I will give you the nations and the heathen will become your inheritance. The Bible teaches this, that through the preaching of the everlasting gospel, the heathen at the very ends of the earth will come to the knowledge of the Son of God. This is a promise that assures us 
that nothing will stop the ultimate triumph of the gospel of God's sovereign grace. Never forget that. Will there be setbacks? Yes, of course. There will be setbacks to the plan of God. Will there be obstacles? Yes, there will be millions of them. But the triumph and the victory of the cause of God are ultimately guaranteed. Nothing can stop this. People can rage against the kingdom of God. But the Bible says that the God of heaven in his glory laughs at them and holds them in derision. Because the kingdom of God is going to come. And even now as I speak to you, the kingdom of God is coming like the ocean over the earth. And nothing can stop it. Today, I want to tell you stories about the first secretary of the Communist Party, now a believer. I'm going to tell you the story of the incredible painting the October Temple of Doom, the Auto Plant Temple of Hope, the $70 or $80 pastor, the suffering steadfast saints, and uh, Nikita Khrushchev's folly, plus other reports. My first story today is one of the most exciting stories I've ever had the privilege of telling. It's about Vladimir Samuel Odkin. I met him last Wednesday night, just a few days ago, when the evil empire, so-called by President Ronald Reagan, ruled a large portion of the world. The men of power ruling over that empire, the men of power and influence were the district first secretaries of the Communist Party. The old Soviet Union was divided up into what they called Soviets, or districts with their committees. One of the most important districts, of course, was the district of Nizhny Novgorod. It, is, it was so important that Stalin said it is so strategic that he proclaimed it a closed city to the world. Closed for more years than I know, I think closed for some 50 years. It was the place where they, and it is the place where they make the famous MiG fighter jet. One of the greatest planes, fighter planes made in the world today. Plus nuclear submarines. Plus millions of vulgar auto cars, motor cars, which I certainly wouldn't choose to own. But nevertheless, millions of people do. The most recent secretary of the Communist Party for Nizhny Novgorod is Vladimir Samor Odkin. With his wife Valentina, they lived a life of power and influence and comfort above the toiling masses. There were and still are two classes in Russia. But back in the days of the Soviet Union, there was the party hierarchy with its special stores its apartments, its dutches, its vacation homes, and all the lurks and the perks. And uh, there was the downtrodden mass of toiling workers. But beneath the facade of contentment in the heart of this man, there were deep doubts. He told me about them. My friend, you're not talking about 
some little person. You're talking about a person who was a big name in the Soviet Union. A man who would lead the marches. A man whom people looked up to and feared. When I told our believers last Sabbath in Kiev that the first secretary of the Communist Party for the district of Nizhny Novgorod had become a believer, one of the pastors came to me and said, can there be forgiveness for a first secretary of the Communist Party? Men of power, influence and ruthlessness. But beneath the facade of contentment, he had deep doubts. He asked the question, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? And Marx did not give the answer. And then he looked at the problems in the world, he told me. And he thought, is there a solution to these problems? I cannot find it in communism. And a few weeks ago, this man, sitting in his home in Nizhny Novgorod, turned on television. And on Saturday afternoon, he got this church service. The Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship. Today, our pastor will be talking on so-and-so. And that day, I spoke on evidences that the Bible is true. More than a carpenter. Do you remember the talk? The Jesus series? He told me he couldn't wait until next Saturday afternoon. And he turned on the program. And he turned it on. That's why I am mission driven. That's why I'm not giving up. And he turned it on the next Saturday afternoon. And the next Saturday afternoon. And when Igor was out here, remember when Igor was here? A little, about a year ago. And we put a telephone number on the screen. And he called the telephone number. And he went to our church. And he asked for Bible studies. And he gave his life to Christ. And with his wife they have been baptized. And they are members of the church. The first secretary of the Communist Party. Glory be to the Father. And to the Son. And to the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you the story of the incredible painting. When you walk into the foyer of the Christian Cultural Center in Nizhny Novgorod, you're confronted by a vast painting on the wall. It almost takes you away because it's so powerful. Let me tell you a little bit about the Christian Cultural Center. In 1992, we went to Nizhny Novgorod for the first great evangelistic campaign in that city. I believe I was the first foreigner to preach in that city. Perhaps the first foreigner to go to that city. And I invited to come with me two very special, wonderful, dear friends whom I appreciate and love, Danny and Linda Shelton. I support their ministry and they support ours. We have been partners together in the preaching of the gospel. 
I say to the viewers on 3ABN, stand by 3ABN and support Danny and Linda. And at the end of the crusade, when Danny and Linda were there, and being a blessing in the meetings, and singing, and giving testimony, the believers came and they said, what are we going to do with all these thousands of new believers? And so we went searching for a building. And we found a building that had been forsaken because communism had collapsed. But the shell of the building was there. A vast building, bigger than anything you can visualize. I wish we had it here. <laughs> and it was being built for the communist youth. Think of this. It was being built for the communist youth. And a member of our team, God bless him forever, was Manny Trez. And if Mrs. Trez is watching today, I want to send my greetings and the greetings of our believers. And Manny gave $100,000. And Alexander, my friend, the president of the conference, went and negotiated with these people. They wanted, I think, 750000 They came down five hundred. In the end, they bought it for $100,000. And Danny and Linda Shelton and 3ABN took up the course. And they stepped into the breach. And they said, by the grace of God, we're going to build a center here for the glory of God. And in a few days' time, it's going to be opened. It is the largest Protestant building in the ex-Soviet Union. With a tremendous church and a great television studio. And we've had a little part in this great dream. But I want to say today how much I appreciate what 3ABN has done. Danny and Linda and also our friend Harold Follett. Nobody will ever know the blood, sweat and tears, the agony and the prayers that have gone into the building of this magnificent building. When I walked in there just over a week ago, there was this great painting. I said, wow. Wow. In the center, center of the painting is Jesus on the cross. The person who painted it knew the gospel. I thought to myself, this is a painting that I would have done if I could have done it. In the center is Jesus on the cross. That's where he ought to be, in the center. And then, because the center of our message is Jesus on the cross, my friend, that's the center of our message. Jesus on the cross, we preach Christ crucified. And there in the very center of the picture is Jesus on the cross. And then the picture moves into Christ coming in glory. And there you can see the resurrection and people coming up out of their tombs. And I stood there and I soaked in the message and I was blessed by the message of the painting this incredible painting and as I preached that night in this great auditorium in this great Christian cultural center I asked the question could anybody tell me who did the painting and a young woman stood to her feet you're going to see her and I said to her how long have you been a Christian she said you should know you baptized me in 92 I was an unbeliever 
She came out of atheism and darkness and despair. And there today is a painting that testifies to the power and the grace of God. I want to tell you folks something. I'm proud under God for what has been accomplished. Don't misunderstand me. I feel like Paul who said, I boast in Christ. When we went to that city, there was practically nothing, just a little handful of struggling survivors. Today, we have thousands of believers and a strong worship center. And I want to say to this church and our friends across North America, you have made it possible. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And a person who's had a very meaningful role in all of this has been my friend, Pastor Norman Matico, who has served as manager of our overseas crusades. Nobody knows the work. We run campaigns in the Soviet Union as big as the Billy Graham Crusades with less than 1% of the staff. And God is blessed because it's been done in weakness with much opposition. Much opposition. Because you know, whenever God does a great work, the devil does an evil work. But a person who has stood in the breach and has helped to make it possible for me to stand up before two and a half million Russians and Ukrainians is my colleague, Norman Matiko. Norm. I think of Anna today. Just a few days, uh, she stood before me. And she said, Pastor Norm, when you folk came to our city, I don't remember how many years it had been. I never smiled. But the Carter Report team brought a smile to my face. You brought peace to my heart and joy to my lips. And friends uh, here in this congregation and those listening and watching on television, you too are a member of the Carter Report team. And as we think of St. Petersburg, five new congregations, Carter Report congregations in that city, they have tremendous needs. And they say to you and to me, don't forsake us now. They can't afford to pay for the auditoriums where they meet. They don't have any money to pay for the salaries of the pastors. Those are paid till the end of March. We must not forsake them now. I think of Nizhny Novgorod where our people have been thrown from one auditorium to the next. They too say, don't forsake us now. And then I think of the 13 new congregations in the city of Kiev. Right now, they're concerned because five of those congregations have to vacate from the auditoriums that they're in because those buildings have been sold and they'll be used for other purposes. 
And we had the opportunity to worship and to meet with these believers and to talk with the pastors and administration. And they too said, tell the Carter Report family, don't forsake us now. And so I say to you today and I say to myself, as we think of the thousands of Annas who hadn't smiled for a long, long time, till the Carter Report team came and, and confronted them with the inescapable claim that Jesus Christ had on their lives, that we not forsake them too, so that all the honors in the Ukraine and throughout Russia will continue to be able to have a smile on their face, peace in their hearts, and joy on their lips. Thank each one of you for caring and sharing. Pastor Matiko, thank you. When Pastor Matiko talks about the needs, um, it's hard to describe it to you. We took cash with us. When we get to St. Petersburg, they say, what are we going to do? Will we close down the churches? We say, well, go to this church authority. Go. They say, we've been there. There's no money. There's nothing. So we're paying the rental. We're paying pastor's salaries. Is it bleeding us? Yes, it is. We have less money. We have hardly, we are now living from paycheck to paycheck. My treasurer said to me, make sure you pick up the mail from box 1900 Thousand Oaks, California 91358 because we are having difficulty now to pay because we put it into these churches. We want you folks, don't forget these people, don't forget them. Let me talk about the October Temple of Doom. Last Sabbath, I preached in Kiev, the capital of the Ukraine. I preached in a great theater, named after the October Revolution of 1917. It is probably the most beautiful theater I've ever preached in. We had a great crowd of people. People say, are these believers staying? Yes, thousands of them. Pastor Matiko said to me, our believers could not Back here in America, could, they could not visualize what we experienced. The meeting started with a band, with six trumpets. And they gave a fanfare to introduce the meeting. All professionals. And then an orchestra came. They have there, my friend, in that church, one of our new believers, the finest violinist in the whole of Russia and Ukraine. He's a member of our church. Baptized him three years ago. And then there came a group of young people. Let me say this. They're the finest group of singers I've heard anywhere in the world, including the best in North America. We baptized them three years ago. They're not good. They're marvelous. Marvelous. Then we had a mass choir come and sing and played with the orchestra. And then I preached to the people. The October Temple of Doom. Why would I call it this? 
because Pastor Perlinski came to me and he said, don't announce this in public, but our people have been afraid to come to this auditorium today. Why? Because he said, uh, in the basement rooms of this vast auditorium that looks like the Bolshoi Theater, he said, not thousands, but tens of thousands of the intelligentsia of the Ukraine were taken in the days of Stalin, tortured and shot to death. And he said, people are afraid of this building. This building is up on a hill. When we put out an ex-pictorial, I'll have a picture of it. But he said, we'll take you down, if you like, into the dungeons. And so I went down to the place that they have sealed off, and I stood there, and I listened to the cries of the damned, and the screams of the Christians and innocent men and women as they were tortured to death. And the outside world knew something horrific was going on in this place because the blood oozed its way out of the stones and ran down the streets of Kiev. And I preached in the temple of doom. And today, the temple of doom, the bastion of communism and atheism, and how I hate atheism and communism, today, the bastion of the old evil empire is the venue for the preaching of the everlasting gospel. And there I preached most of the day, great meeting in the morning, a great meeting in the afternoon with the best music and wonderful fellowship. And I felt so proud that my heart, I thought, was going to burst. Let me tell you about the auto plant Temple of Hope. The auto plant is probably the biggest auto production center in the world. It's miles long. It's where they make the antiquated Volga motor car that the communists advertised as the greatest motor car in the world. It is the greatest motor car in the world, the greatest mistake. But nevertheless, they're getting better as time goes by. Competition is getting them better. In the year 94, we conducted a crusade at the Palace of Sport right near the vast auto plant. Then we formed a congregation of a thousand new members. That congregation was turned out of its rented halls seven times in six months because of the persecution of the Russian Orthodox Church. The believers came to me and they said, can you please do something for us? I said, I don't know. I don't promise what I can't fulfill. But if we promise it, we'll die to fulfill it. There's nothing more despicable than a person who makes a promise and breaks his word. And so we said, we'll see what we can do. Alexander said, we can buy a piece of land, $7,000. We had $7,000 left in our bank account. We sent it over. He bought the piece of land. And then when I visited over there 18 months ago, in the middle of... No, it was a year, I think, ago, around that time. It was very, very cold. And uh, I don't know if you were with me, Norm, but they were working on the foundations, and it started to snow. It wasn't winter time. I think it was September. September, and it started to snow. 
and an old lady, a grandmother, a babushka came up to me and she said, I hope I live to worship in this temple. They call these churches temples. I'm pleased to tell you that our friends have risen to defend these people and a great church is being built there. A few days ago I stood in the snow and watched as the steel beams were placed on the roof by a big Russian crane. Once again I felt I was going to burst. I felt so glad. I felt so glad to be part of something great for God. There is a problem. Inflation has made it impossible for them to finish it. We thought we would finish it. We thought we had the money. It's going to cost another 30000 Alexander said to me, can you get it? I said, I don't know. He said, you've done it before. I said, I don't know. But we will. But we have there in the snow a temple rising for the glory of God. A temple not of doom, but a temple of hope. Let me tell you now the story of the 70 or $80 pastor. Some of the finest pastors I've met anywhere in the world have been our Russian and Ukrainian pastors. Our Ukrainian pastors have worked like nobody. They've worked so very hard. People say, we hear tales that, you know, you baptize large numbers and they all leave. Well, they're tales. It's not true. I have preached only the last few weeks to thousands and thousands and thousands. In fact, when I drove in from the airport to Kiev, I, they put me in a motor car by myself so they could work me over. And Mrs. Murgar, the wife of the union president, who can speak English, worked me over for a solid hour, saying, come back, please come back. In the name of God, come back. Elections are on next year, and after the elections there may be no freedom, but you can come back now. A deputy of their parliament came to the meetings and came up the front to give me an official welcome. My friend, it wasn't that long ago when I was almost run, run out of town there. You know the story. We baptized three and a half thousand. We caused a national sensation. And uh, the Orthodox Church was so mad that they wanted to run me out of town. And said, we don't want him back anymore. Now I have a deputy of the parliament coming to the meeting and saying, Pastor Carter, I'm here to officially invite you to come. And then uh, when the brethren were feeding us, because they always feed us when they want to soften us up, the union committee was there and the conference committee and they said, please come. I said, we do not have the money. They said, you've told us that before and it's come. But I said, this time we don't have it. Would you come if you had it? Yes, but we haven't got it. We can't see how we could raise that sort of money at this stage. St. Petersburg cost us a huge sum of money. We're still bleeding from St. Petersburg. But here we have these pastors 
We have 13 new churches, Carter Report Adventist churches in the city of Kiev. We now have a total of 20 churches, Adventist Christian churches in Kiev, with 20 pastors, with 6,000 members. 6,000 members. 6,000 members. Now let me tell you about the pastors. I said to the brethren, what are these pastors receiving as a salary? The salary of a pastor in Kiev is either 70 or $80 a month. Now please think about that, 70 or $80 a month. But then you say to me, Pastor Carter, things are so cheap there. As most of you folks know, I'm a great banana eater. A pound of bananas in Kiev costs 60 cents, the same as here, maybe a little more expensive. Uh, tomatoes are $1.40 a pound, $1.49 a pound, they're tomatoes. Cucumbers are the same. Can you visualize this? Have you ever lived, my friend, in America on $70 a month? I hear people here groaning about poverty. There's no real poverty that I've seen in America. I'm sorry. I don't see too many skinny people. I'm about the skinniest. I don't consider that I'm poor. And I'm skinny not because of lack of food. We don't know what poverty is. Would you like to know what these pastors and their families live on? Water, bread, potatoes when they can afford them, and cabbage. Bananas? No, of course not. They feed me bananas because I pay for them. They feed me tomatoes because I pay for them. I pay for everything that I buy. And everything they give me, I pay them for it. I saw recently a young pastor, my heart went out to him. I met with all the pastors and I saw him and his wife. She was a skinny little girl, hand in hand with a skinny little boy with legs so skinny they looked like matches, matchsticks. I said, what can we do to help these pastors and their wives? I don't know what we can do, but we're going to try to do something. When I say, I don't know what we can do, I wish we could do much more. But we've decided on the spot, the pastors get $70 a month. We're going to give to all those wives in the city of Kiev, that's 20 of them, $50 a month for the next year. Then we'll see how we can afford it. So we're going to give to every pastor over the next 12 months, $600. You say, that's not much. It's a lot. It means shoes. It means a few bananas. And when I met with the pastors, a fine pastor, I wish I had him on my team. He came to me. He's got degrees, earning $80 a month, university graduate, a great church. And in his church, I saw our synthesizers and our PA systems. He said to me, Pastor Carter, I want to thank you that you haven't forgotten us. 
I want every person watching on television today to think of our pastors in Kiev, the $70, $80 pastors. Think of their wives and think of their children. Maybe think of becoming a partner with us and helping to keep the fire going. I want to tell you about the suffering steadfast saints. Two weeks ago I spoke at the St. Petersburg Church. It's a new church that's been constructed by Loma Linda University. And we thank God that Loma Linda has been able to build this beautiful church. It has cost, we believe, some $600,000. And we understand what it is to struggle to find that sort of money inasmuch as the campaign and the televising of it cost $750,000. But before we went to that city a year ago, we had less than 150 members in that whole city of St. Petersburg. Today, that beautiful church is filled with beautiful people who were baptized in the crusade, and we say glory be to God. And we thank God that Loma Linda has made it possible for those people to come in out of the snow. I asked the pastors and the president, of the people we have baptized, how many are standing firm? That's always a big concern. He told us, wait till you hear it, 90%, 90% of the people you were, you were baptized, 90% of these people are standing firm. Somebody else said to me over there, that's better than we do in Australia or America. 90% of the saints standing firm in St. Petersburg. Let me tell you about my visit to the two worship centers in Nizhny Novgorod. I get goosebumps. I visited the original Christian Adventist temple in Gorky. Shevchenko. As we drove there, my mind went back to the time when I first went there. It was snowing like crazy. And the people were walking in the snow down to the church, nighttime. When I came to the church, they were standing everywhere, hanging off the rafters, standing out on the foyer. As I walked down the aisle, pardon my telling you this, because I love them and I think they love me. As I came into the church, they all stood up and started to cry out. Then they had a choir there that sang four songs. And then I preached them the word of God. I love those people. A little while ago, atheists. Then the next night, went to the Christian Cultural Center. Beautiful auditorium packed to the doors. Choirs singing, people praising God, believers standing firm for God. And it's hard. It's hard. But I want to tell you folks something. The best thing I ever did in my whole life, the best thing I ever did was to accept a call by the General Conference in 91 to go to Moscow and conduct the first ever evangelistic crusade in the Soviet Union. It still was the Soviet Union. Because from there, God is blessed in a marvelous way. Now, a very beautiful lady who came with us on the trip is Donna Matico. 
and Donna is going to give her testimony. Lovely to have you with us, Donna. It's hard to know where to begin to tell you about all the stories and all the people that we got to see that have been baptized in the various crusades. The needs are incredible, and they are all standing strong in their faith in God. And I think that sometimes I look at what they live through on a day-to-day -day basis and what our lives are and how we stand in Christ. I think of Ada, who was baptized in August, was telling me that her son was gravely ill this fall. And they were afraid that he was going to die. She says, but you know, I had a peace in my heart because I prayed and I knew that God would take care of him, that he was in God's hands. And for the first time in my life, I knew that no matter what happened, it would be okay because God would take care. We praise God because he answered her prayer and her son lived. I think of the lady in Kiev who came up to me and said, thank you so much for coming three and a half years ago, for bringing the word of God to us. She says, I love my Lord and I love my church. Please tell the people thank you for making it possible. And I think of Boris, a young man who had no interest in church or God, who is now a youth leader in Kiev because people came who cared and shared the word of God because we made it possible, because we were partners with Pastor Carter and Mrs. Carter in supporting them and what they do in Russia and the Ukraine because the need is great. And everyone I talked to, the question was the same. When is Pastor Carter coming back? When is the team coming back? There are so many more that need to know the word of the Lord and time is running so short. So I would ask you in joining me and all the other supporters in, in giving so that others too may know the love of the Lord that we have and the great hope of the life ever after. Bless you, Donna. And let me tell you Nikita Khrushchev's folly. You all remember Nikita Khrushchev, who was the leader of the evil empire, the leader of the Soviet Union. You remember how he went to the United Nations and he took his shoe off and beat it on the desk. Remember that? The short, tubby, little, obnoxious man. And then he said to the Americans, we will bury you. Remember the U-2 flights in the days of Eisenhower and how Gary Powers was shot down? You all remember that, don't you? And you'll remember it was Khrushchev who was at the center of the spotlight. And then you'll remember, of course, who can remember Cuba? Mm-hmm. And the day the world came to the brink, that was Kennedy and Khrushchev. Khrushchev spoke at the October Theater, the Temple of Doom, as I call it. He stood in the very place where I had the privilege of standing. I should say... I had the privilege of standing where the leader of the evil empire stood. And there, 30 years ago, in a great communist convention being held in the October Theater where I was preaching the gospel, Nikita Khrushchev said, within 25 years, there'll be no believers left 
Egypt in the Soviet Union. Within 25 years, the name of Christ will never be mentioned again. He said, within 25 years, Christianity will cease to exist. That was his folly. I had the privilege of standing where he made that false prophecy and lifting up my Bible and telling the people of the great love of God. You know why he failed? It's really very simple. He failed because, my friend, he was fighting God. Jesus said, I say unto you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My friend, nothing can stop the tide coming in, and nothing can stop the progress of the kingdom of God. Where do we go from here? Are we going to give up on these people? No, we're not. This year we have a great project which is called Mission Big Screen. And that is to run a series, 50 television programs, 50 evangelistic crusades with video cassettes of the St. Petersburg Crusade and video projectors right across the heartland of the Soviet Union. This is going to be our biggest project yet. Last Wednesday night, I had a beautiful experience. When I was preaching in the Shemenko Church, I saw sitting down the front, Pastor Yvonne. And I had buried his daughter, Anna, five years before, that time of the year. You know the story how Anna had died in a Russian hospital, how I'd been there with her, and we'd buried her in this lonely Russian cemetery. And she was buried with one little baby girl at her breast. But one little girl had survived, and she was called Anna, and we'd christened her little Anna, and we'd kept her in milk. And when I was preaching, I referred to the funeral and how one day we were going to see Anna again. And Anna was going to meet little Anna. But I had been told that little Anna was living in a different city. But after the meeting, they brought it to me. And I put my arm around her. And amazingly, she cuddled up to me. I told the people the day is coming when it's all going to be over. The kingdom of God is going to come. Anna's going to be raised from the grave. She's going to be raised with a little baby and she's going to meet her. Anna, I don't know how old Anna's going to be then. Anna is now, little Anna is now five. We belong to a movement that is destined to triumph 
and to triumph gloriously. By the grace of God, you and I must vow today that we will triumph with God's kingdom.